Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is TL, and you are now on the front line. Yes, it's still a stereo podcast, people. You can catch the audio on Google Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Apple Music. Y'all stick with me today. As usual, I might go left. (laughs) Y'all already see the title on this show. The title on this show is a conversation with a white guy. Somebody got to start it, right? Why not me? I figure it should be me. Hey, look, I've said once or twice in my life, y'all better get y'all some white friends. (laughs) But what I should have been saying is white people, get you some black friends. I was reading today and I found out that 75% of um, white people, you guys have no friends outside your race. 75% of white people have no friends outside of their race. So white people, get y'all some friends, man. Get y'all some black friends. As you can tell, today's conversation is going to be about race. It's a conversation with a white guy, right? I'm not the white guy that's going to do the conversing. I'm just going to be a part of that conversation. I'm going to facilitate that conversation. So don't leave. (laughs) Drew, if you're watching right now, don't leave. (laughs) I'm talking to you specifically. You are a part of the 25% with a black friend. (laughs) So you just stick around. Being a part of one of the most oppressed races in the world, you or any race, Drew, white folks, you or any race for that matter of fact, can learn something from me as a black man. That's what I think. I know the thought of having your, I know the thought that you're having in your head right now. What is this black guy going to teach me? Hey, it is much to be said about a, a man, specifically a black guy, who has started the game of life behind. Hey, I, I am that statistic. I was born to a black mother, single, in a, raised in a single parent home. And yes, she was at the age of 16, almost turning 17. I was literally that statistic. Let's listen and learn today. I got a story for you. Everybody plays Monopoly, so you can relate. My family plays Monopoly, and, and, and when we play Monopoly, of course, everyone rolls to see who goes first. Then, after we roll to see who goes first, you know you have to roll. Once you find out who goes first, everyone takes a trip around the board before they can start buying property. That way, it's fair. So regardless of who rolled first, just because they rolled first or started first doesn't mean they'll initially buy property first. Monopoly believes that if everyone goes around that board, they'll give you a fair chance regardless of who rolls first is pretty much what I'm saying. In life, we don't get that chance. We don't get a chance around the board first. We have to start purchasing and fail or win right away. As a black man, we don't start with that $1,500 Monopoly gives you. We start behind that. And it's like I still have to take a trip around the board while all of my friends from other races are buying and purchasing and getting their fails and their wins in right away. Even with that disadvantage, when you see a successful black person, this is where I go, know what it took and see why there's that difference there when they're, when they're that successful. People say they don't want to talk about race, but the thing is you're already talking about race. So come on, let's talk about race today. Even as I speak about Monopoly, you have been up at other friends' house and you've played Monopoly by their rules, a.k.a. the house rules, right? Black people have been playing Monopoly with house rules in America for a lifetime. Those people who say they don't want to talk race, I want you to realize something today. The problem is not talking race, because like I said, you're already talking about race. The problem is you don't want to talk about race in a space where your ideas will be challenged. Let me say that again. The problem is not talking about race. The problem is You don't want to talk about race in a space that your ideas will be challenged. So look, I'm not saying I'm not going to challenge you. I I, I encourage you guys to engage with us today and have the conversation about race and, and ask your questions, ask your comments, because this is a safe place. But it's also a real one. So trust and believe you're going to be challenged. Speaking of that challenge... I'm going to talk to my millennial people who are always challenged because they want to line up. And as I start to discuss a lineup, you guys know how I like to do my lineups. I like to do my lineups with a little music. 
And I actually like what we was playing earlier before I started. So I'm going to cue that back up as I get ready to discuss lineups. How about that? I'm hoping y'all going to stick with me and be okay with that because that's what I want to do. Oh, there it is. So, oh, I see y'all filing in. I know. I'm, 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 I'm going to get to the comments in a second. Look, today's lineup. I have our special guest, Mr. Royce Tevis Towns, with us today. And today we're going we gonna to hint on this, this conversation about this new hashtag that I've been seeing on social media everywhere. We're going to talk about the Karens of the world. Not only are we going to talk about the Karens of the world, I want to talk about allyship. Not enough is being said about allyship. And then we're just going to have a conversation about racism in general. I want y'all to stick with me, man. Look, I, I appreciate all the listeners out there, all the people who are sticking with me on the podcast. Brandon, you always give me um, useful feedback. Drew, I know you listening. I just don't know if you're watching. Um, if you are, this is the conversation that I'm talking about, man. This, this is the one for you. So I'm going to go ahead and get us, um, go ahead and, and take the plane off today. Let's get us in the right space and kill the fluff and start the conversation. Um, if you're one of those people who have been watching Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Guy, um, hosted by Emmanuel Acho. I, I don't know if you've been watching that on YouTube. I have. Um, this is where I would encourage you to stick around today because my thing is Acho is having this conversation. But the thing is, Acho has not said a thing that makes his conversation uncomfortable. I don't know why he thinks this is an uncomfortable conversation with a black guy because everybody's still comfortable. I am now going to provide my disclaimer because this is where I'm going to say some of the things that I might say today might offend you. So... The views and opinions expressed by TL are those solely of TL and no one else on the Frontline Stereo Podcast. Shit, wait. This is a damn podcast, man. You got damn right. It's a damn podcast, man. Look, if you're listening today, I have an agenda. And that agenda, as if I don't always have an agenda, that agenda today is to provide an example. Whether you feel it's a right example or a wrong example, I want to provide an example of how to start a conversation. And I know... Black people, we're exhausted. You've heard that multiple times before. But if we want to change, let's do what we always do. Let's aid the change by starting the conversation. To start the conversation, I'm going to bring in our guest and my friend. He calls himself the aha moment midwife behind his company, Project Holdness, which is a coaching company, executive coaching company. He also comes face to face with his own white privilege in a podcast he calls killing the great white male he's the host of a podcast called killing the great white male and then you can also find him on a uh, a live stream with one of the friends of the show torian richardson on a show that's called this called where's your heart you can find that on monday streaming on facebook as well he's so much more than what i just said but i'm gonna let him tell you about that everyone please welcome to the frontline stereo podcast Live, Mr. Royce Tevis Towns. Thank you, TL. It's really, really amazing to be here, man. Thanks oh, so much. Dude, I'm happy you in the I love your setup you too. Me. This is you ready to go, huh? I I gotta say, like oh well, no, I mean, first off, just before we get into it, let me say this. Okay. <laughs> Just how, uh, what it's like to have somebody really, like you take care of your guests. Like I know everything that you have put forward to me and invited me into and the way you've prepped for this conversation. I got to say thank you for that. Um, it's It was a real lesson to me about what I need to be doing more of for my own guests in other spaces. So, so thank you, my friend. Man, look, I can't say more. Um, I just I just really appreciate you coming on the show to have a conversation with me and not only have a conversation with me, have a conversation with me when I titled the show, the show conversation with a white guy. So right out of the gate, we had we had our we did a pre-conversation, guys. We do pre-conversations <laughs> and 
as I was doing my research, if you're gonna if you're gonna name your show Conversation with a White Guy, first thing you gotta do is say, Hey, let me make sure the guy's white. <laughs> so I I did my research and then when I had my conversation with him, I said, Royce, <coughs> I wanna be sure. Are you really white? And he gave me this answer. I want you to give that answer live right now for the viewers so they can understand what I heard and hear <laughs> how you break this down because this is unlike any other um, response that I've ever heard. Oh, God, now i got to remember what the hell I said. <laughs> you can make it sound that magical. Um, it, um, so my first response, is, first response is, well, it doesn't matter what I think I am because the world is going to project whiteness onto me simply because of the color of my skin and the way I walk through the world. Um, and that's, that's the challenge of how privilege operates. But the other part of me that like is the part of me that held off on really understanding that I had white privilege for so long. Mm -hmm. And it was the part of me that had flan at Thanksgiving and could never talk about it with my quote unquote white friends. Um, because they didn't know what what the hell flan was. You said flan. Uh, As I said yesterday, I'm really flan. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a custardish dessert. It's like pudding i guess maybe i don't know it's it's uh it's a dessert from like portugal and spain is where it originates but it's like i love living in new mexico because every fucking restaurant in town has flan and they all do it differently and it's it's amazing but like it's it's one of the things that like was a hallmark early on of there's more to to our family story but we didn't know it my dad's uh my great aunt took Mm -hmm. uh the family name to her grave and it was only my my current spouse who did the research on Ancestry.com that found out this line in my dad's family that they're Azorian immigrants who were indentured servants in Hawaii uh, and then became citizens. And so there's this like weird stream, but and then mixed into that stream is this weird element of this conquistador who took a, a native wife in what was would end up being Mexico. So it's just this. I mean, and let's be clear about what that was. That was a slave being taken as as a as a quote unquote wife. This whole thing, this is one of the threads that brings to my family. And this is my mom's side, which is very much a German American uh, uh, Pennsylvania Dutch family. I knew that whiteness was not the whole story. And so I kept constantly trying to reject that. And it wasn't until somebody sat with me and said, you don't you don't fucking get a say in this. You're assigned white privilege. Now, what are you going to do with it? Hello. I mean, like when we had that, when we started our conversation, first thing you told me is, I, 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 TL, I just don't agree with the construct of what a white male is. That's that's where I go. This is. Well, yeah. And there's there's the other thing. OK. Now, yeah. That's where I'm just thinking, like, yeah. what, what is a racial identity? And I want yeah. to just I just want to dive into what what that what a, what is a racial identity? Because everybody doesn't necessarily agree with the constructs that they've been placed that's been placed upon them. These colorable status. Yeah, I'm a black man, but so is the guy that's dark skinned in Puerto yep. Rico. Or um, and and he's he's he doesn't say I'm a black man. He says I'm a Puerto Rican man. Or he may eventually say I'm an Afro Puerto Rican or or Afro Latina. Latino. I was literally just talking to my wife. She's a part of the junior league and her group is going through this racial awareness um, conversation and challenge. And it's like a 21 day challenge. And, and in one of her conversations, one of the women who were, who, who's a part of the conversation, she's like, I don't agree with being called white. I'm Jewish. So it's, it's these type of comments where I go, if we have to, me as yep. a black guy, I'm, I go, Hey, look, I'm okay. I generally say native black Americans ever since Torian came on the show. We're native black Americans. And as native black Americans, yeah. if, if I can go in and say I'm a black guy, it's okay. It's, it's, it's a colorable status, but for the sake of the conversation, that that's where your privilege begins. Can you just dive into that for me? Because I feel like that's where your privilege is starting. You don't even want to, you don't even want to have the conversation in, in simple terms where I'm black and, and you're white. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, I mean, you're nailing it all over the place there. Um, I mean, the first thing that personally I really had to come to grips with is that race is a lie, but racism is not. Okay. That we we have a lot of ethnicities, we have a lot of cultures, but race was an attempt, it was a failed attempt to scientifically prove that human beings are different and therefore should not be equal. Hmm. Right? Like that's what race was. It was bullshit. 
Yeah. Oh, uh, thank you for not so, holding back. <laughs> so we've got that going on. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We're, we're going to get to that, but, right. but first we got to cover this. <laughs> but, uh, but it, so, so that's what race is. But the, the fact is that racism is a social structure. It's a construct of mm-hmm. uh, this, this notion of we can tell who's better than other people. Um, and that visual variation is one of the ways that we can tell that. And so, I mean, that's, that's the basic, that's the basic problem right there. It ends up being less about the variation between you and me, which science tells us our DNA may not be, may not actually be more different than when I'm sitting next to somebody who is, you know, going to be cast very much as white in, in the U S society, but, uh, is Irish. I may have more difference between him and me at a DNA level than you and I have like, and that's why the whole thing just falls apart because it's just a construct of power. And that's actually the problem because it's the same problem we run into in all of these isms. It's the same problem we run into with sexism. It's the same problem we run into with homophobia. It's, it's, it's the same problem as who's got power and, who and why do we construct it in a way that says I have it and you don't. So, so here's a question that I have for you. I, I just put it up on the screen because I want the listeners to, yeah, I want the listeners and the viewers to start engaging with us. Um, I'm leaving the, mm. the link for you guys to engage, whether you have a, a question or a comment. Um, I definitely invite you guys into the studio to question and comment. And I'm going to be looking at your comments now because I want to know how are your ideas and beliefs about race formed? Like, how did you even get to this thing, this, this construct of race? And you want me to go after that one right now? I do. <laughs> I do. I mean, I, I mean, I have my ideas, but my ideas. Yeah, okay. Just, all right. All right. It's just like, I mean, I, I mean, so, I, I've been beat I, down. First buddy. off, there's <laughs> the way it was formed in my childhood. Okay. But exactly. Like when, when we talk about the different ways that we, we have these concepts form the original one that, that I was gifted from, from my family of origin, from, from my neighborhoods. Um, it was really confusing, man. It was all over the place because there was very much um it was very much the reality of uh, the neighborhood that i remember growing up was very white right um but my dad taught at the school across town uh where white kids made up 20 to 30 percent of the student body okay okay and i so it was a very different makeup and my that's and and i mean my parents were definitely they're boomers right so they they participated in some of the revolutionary stuff in the sixties. Um, they were vegetarians before I was born. They were, they knew that there was something wrong and they were trying to participate in solutions. And even with all of that, I know that I still ended up very much totally unaware of my own privilege. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people just mistake today. A lot of white people. Um, I know it was something that I mistook for a long time is the difference between being, racist and being anti-racist because there's miles apart is one thing to never look at a black person and say horrible things because right. of their 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 melanation right. uh it's t- a totally different thing to actively question and challenge the system that grants me privilege um and it's that's like, yeah like that's why, diff- why would you give up why would you give up the thing that has advanced the whole situation for you? Like, I, I have an advantage. I want to keep my advantage. It's kind of like when I played Monopoly. When if I have an advantage, I want to keep my advantage. If if you're if you're talking about taking this away, my my first natural instinct is to kind of fight you on that being taken away. But guess what, Royce? Already we have a a guest in the studio um, that. Yeah, clearly has a question or a comment, and I want to start engaging right away with them. Um, this is one of our regular listeners on the front line. Um, Jaron, you are now on the front line. What's your question or comment? My question is, and this is the best way I can put it, how, how, how do we deal with things that go back to when we first were bought here up until modern day? Because people blatantly try and say, oh, black people use racism to the extent of it doesn't affect them today. And I believe that, excuse my language, that's total bullshit because it, it does. There's systematic uh, racism. There's criminal injustice. We are always given a harsher sentence for lesser crimes versus someone of an ethnicity. It's, it's blatant in today's news. And the question I have about it is, why is it that there are people that will sit here and say, oh, 
um, they don't benefit from white privilege or there's no such thing as white privilege when it's proven. And then when I go and pull up history and I say, well, black people still deal with slavery to this day, they go, oh, you're lying. But it's technically true. Slavery is just transformed. And granted, the best way I can put it is like this. I'm a big college football fan. And what I realized is back during the slavery days, they used to have the slaves kill each other on the plantation just for entertainment of the slave owners. Now it's the same way, but it is transformed because if you look at a perfect example, University of Alabama is a dominant football program. It has been for the last 10 to 15 years. And in the state of Alabama, they want African-Americans, they want to put a football in their hand to come win them a national championship. But if they have someone like myself who wants to become educated and go law enforcement or become a lawyer or become a doctor, I'm still not good enough, but I'm good enough for your entertainment. Why is that? And how do we change that? So out I mean, of shit, all of that, that, right. What's our question? How is that? And how do we change it? I mean, first off, the what, the roots of what well, I hear roots in, in what, what you just said, uh, they go all the way back to the gladiatorial arenas where they had slaves fought, fighting in, in Rome. And I mean, that tells the real truth about who we are in the U.S. We are simply the next the next uh, presentation of the Roman Empire. Um, and so, yeah, mm. I, I mean, I'm so glad to hear somebody else say it because I make this argument constantly. Like, look at the death rates of NFL football players, the the concussive syndromes that we're dealing with and all this stuff. And it's all heaped on black bodies. Um, that's no fucking accident. It's it's not. I mean, this is. Yeah. Yeah, we don't. Uh, TL posted it yesterday on on the page for Frontline. The 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 gaps of of income and the gaps of savings and the gaps of wealth, um, like the numbers are clear. So why why do white people stick with the story that white privilege doesn't exist? Um, so I got two responses there. Um, one is a neurological response, which is kind of boring, but the fact is we're all averse to change. Um, the human animal. Uh, you know, we we are this evolutionary thing, and we evolved to have a, a, a reading this. God, I'm thinking is I think the guy who did a lot of this is Daniel Eagleman. Anyway, a lot of neuro, neuroscience is talking about the difference between the conscious and subconscious brain, and the conscious brain is what sets us apart from chimpanzees. Like the subconscious part of us, man, it's just the same as our ape relatives, um, and that part of the brain is oriented on food, water, shelter, and meaningful social inter interaction. An important thing here on that meaningful social interaction is that it's how we perceive meaningful social interaction because these four things run our dopamine system, our dopamine hits. And so that's why we stay in abusive relationships because our brain has decided this is a meaningful social interaction. And so this is how part of our brain works, right? And then we got the conscious brain, the part we can actually control. Um, the problem is that part's not running the show. And so when we talk to white people about race, they're convinced that their food, water, shelter, and meaningful social interaction are being challenged and that they might be in danger. So when we talk about changing people's minds, changing people's hearts, we are up against the oldest part of the brain that they don't even know is running the show. So we're kind of fucked. Um, that's a problem. And I, I don't really have a solution for that. When we talk about getting woke, uh, I think that's part of what we have to address as, as people who are doing our best to, to deal with change is we got to deal with that part of our brain that's actually making our decisions, even though we think we're making choices. It's defined those choices before we ever even think of them. So that's one problem. The other problem is, and this is the part that I try to address in my work of killing the great white male, is I don't think that most of us with privilege... And um, I'm gonna ask you guys to join me in this, okay? <laughs> um, because just just like we have some privilege, we don't have the same privilege or any of that. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, but I'm saying that we're sitting here on high speed internet, uh, having a conversation that is not about how the fuck are we gonna eat tomorrow morning? Correct. Right. So there's some privilege here in this space with the three of us, and when we have privilege, what we're not talking about is what part of us is on the other side of that fence? What part of us is away from us, the unprivileged part, the marginalized part? And so to speak as a, as a great white male, when I talk about this, and which yes, great white male is a bullshit construction, but that's part of what I'm pointing out is it's a myth. I have to do the work to figure out what parts of me I am cut off from because of racism. Okay. And to do that, 
I have to admit that I have privilege. I have to admit that racism exists and I have participated. Like there's a lot of steps before I can get to that part, but then there's gotta be, there's, there's something on the other side of that fence and it's part of me and I want it back. Well, this is, this is something that, this is something that I want us to consider. Um, Jaron, thank you for your comment. I appreciate you. Keep, keep listening, keep commenting, keep well engaging. Um, I definitely want to keep you in the um, studio to, to, to engage with us. We got another person from, on the line but before we pull that that next person in i can't even oh yeah I can, he got he got a part of his name i could say but this is something i want us to consider uh, you, you kind of talked about something something we, we don't have to we're on high speed internet and we don't have to worry about a meal consider this is it true well we may is it true that we have to learn more you know um constructive relationships and communications. We have to recognize that racism is a system of oppression that is used to uphold um, a, a, a certain power structure of a dominant racial group. In this case, white people, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of pause when I say some of this because like I said, I don't want to, I, I really don't want to offend anybody, but if you're uncomfortable, you're uncomfortable because you're probably a part of the system. Um, it's what, what this, this system that, that you're in, it is used to preserve this is, is used to preserve that privilege and the myth of yes. white superiority. This is the water in which everyone is swimming in, in this country. And we're failing to talk about it. And we're working. We're right now, me and Royce, we're working actively to shift it. And that helps. I mean, like we're working actively to shift the conversation because we're starting the conversation. So I want you to, I want you, I really want you guys to consider this as you're, as you're chiming in and as you're engaging with us. And speaking of engagement, I got another person on the line that's wanting to engage with us. Will, you are now on the front line. What's your question or comment? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of comment on the idea that y'all talked about where um, where you believe some of these ideas and beliefs come from. Um, it's basically, um, for me, it was coming from the family, right? Um, I'm Dominican-American. And so okay. as many folks know, Dominicans and some Latinos have a hard time considering themselves black. Right. Um, I always grew up with my mom saying, um, you're not black. Right. You're Dominican. Right. And it was the stigma that black is bad for some reason. Oh, right. God. Yeah. Um, and so um, when you grow up with that, you know, you kind of get labeled and pigeonholed as, you know, you're not black, you're Dominican. And you'll see that with a lot of older Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, um, that they have this stigma that, you know, uh, black is bad. You know, it's it's to the point where it's so silly. You see Sammy Sosa, right? Um, he dyed his skin. And so it's yeah. one of those things where um, a lot of this stuff, man, it just starts at home. And so um, when you have generations and generations of folks spewing the same nonsense, you know, they teach it to their kids, you know. And, and you know, my people are poor, right? I'm on the island with Haiti. And for folks that don't know, Haiti's one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere, right? It's yeah. not my opinion. It's, it's a fact. And we right. share an island with Haitians, right? However, um, if you put a, a Haitian and a Dominican in the, same, um, in the same place, we look the same, right? However, you have some Dominicans that discriminate and, and are racist towards Haitians, right? Don't and make so sense. It's, it's, it's just crazy, right? There, there are brothers and sisters, right? There's no way that you share an island for 400, 500 years and and you don't consider your, yourself black, right? When the island yeah. or the, the country of Haiti considers themselves black. And so um, a lot of this stuff, man, it forms from, from your parents and then it's just perpetuated to your kids. And even yeah. though you're poor um, and, and you don't have anything, um, one thing you do have is the things that your parents teach you, right? Um, and, and a lot of times that's something that you hold on for a very, very long time. Caller, thank you for your, um, I said caller. <laughs> We're not on the phone. I got to get used to this All right, live stream and thing. <laughs> I appreciate your comment. Um, stick with us. I, I, I also want you to stick with us. I know this guy. Um, um, I know I know this guy. You guys are going to see more from um, Will soon. Um, he's, a, he's a guy that I speak highly of in, in multiple circles. So I, I definitely um, appreciate you calling in. Will, stick with me on the, on the show as we're, in, um, as we're keeping people and trying to keep people engaged. Um, but here's a question for you, Royce. Is this something in you that allows this system to continue? And when I say a system, I'm talking about sy systemic racism. Like what, Absolutely. What, yeah, what's, what's in it that makes us continue? 
I mean, so, I mean, I return back to that part of the brain that doesn't want me to change, right? And right. It, do real learning, the kind of learning that you talk about that you want people to do on this show, it's painful. It hurts because we have to go through the process of grieving what left. It's like, it's like lifting. You're going to be sore afterwards. If you did it right, you're going to be sore. Well, that's what we have to get used to as a concept around learning. It's we're going to be sore afterwards. Mm -hmm. We have to go through grief. So I was uh, thinking over the last couple of weeks when you were talking about me holding back on, <laughs> on uh... yeah, this, this whole Black Lives Matter thing. Yeah, man, look, I, I know I tend to get I, I tend to get upset if you've listened to this show and for all the listeners that are out there that continue to listen to, to the show with me. They know I get pretty upset with um, our my, I get I get upset with the black community. I mean, like I get completely exhausted, Royce, with with um, people from the black community that have these cushy jobs, these wonderful homes. And as we start talking about our uh, having our conversations about race, they kind of don't fit the bill. And then there's this white person that comes in and say, hey, I grew up poor and I grew up this way. Hey, look, I, I get it. We're exhausted. We, we really don't want to talk. But I want you guys to remember that Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X probably was exhausted and, and they it, they eventually died for us. So when we talk about wanting change, we can't be exhausted right now when it comes to that change because we have the world listening, but now we're telling the world that we're too tired to talk. Well, look, I want my white allies to listen right now. And if we're quiet, <laughs> then we're gonna get some, some version of racial equality that doesn't include our opinion. We, we, we can't do things like kneel down on, um, do the George Floyd challenge and kneel down on, 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 a, on a person's neck like, like um, the baby did on the BET Awards. I think it's absolutely asinine because we, we buy into that, which they're already making fun of. But what can we expect? The guy's name is the baby as, as his professional moniker. His, his name is the baby. On top of that, do we realize CBS just had the BET Awards broadcasted live? Did, did you watch the BET Awards being broadcasted live on CBS, Royce? No, because I don't have CBS in my house right now. Like, <laughs> like, we we cut the cord. I, and so when people said, hey, the BET is on CBS, I'm like, holy crap, like what's what's happening? Um, I Yeah, I mean, I don't have network TV. Uh, we We... We're Netflix and Hulu and all that stuff. Um, but I got to go look it up now because. That was this... unreal. I mean, I know Viacom is buying these these stations. They got MTV, BET, CBS. But that, that's the first time uh, in, in history where CBS, who doesn't um, normally air or run black shows, airs the BET. And first thing I, I take notice to is the baby going live. And yeah. having his head or his neck kneeled on like he was George Floyd, which I think was absolutely asinine and stupid. If you don't agree with me, you can definitely chime in and tell me what you think. Um, I, I think it was, I think it was a, sh a, a, a shame, really. And speaking of what's a shame, I, I, I can't, I can't let you go, Royce, without having a conversation about the term Karen. I don't know how you feel about this hashtag movement of Karen. First, I want to get your opinion on how you feel about being just this hashtag of claiming every person in this box to be a Karen. I mean, generalizations are they're generalizations. That's right? what we do best, um, right? Black, white, Karen. <laughs> it don't matter. Well, yeah. And again, that's our subconscious at work. Man, the life is a lot easier to live if we can just autopilot. Oh, that person checks that box. They can fuck off. Um, and that's. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what's going on in our brains. So when we look at that, first off, I'm, I'm, there's a set of problematic behavior that's being engaged in there. Um, and it's people not understanding when they are actually in danger and when they aren't. Oh my and gosh. so they're living, right? Right. They're living out of the part of their brain that is, you know, that fight. I call it fight, flight, or fuck, because it's, it's a very basic part of the brain. When we meet somebody, we've assessed a checklist internally that, as, as our the previous person just mentioned, like we learned in our family, we learned in our context, um, and we've decided if we need to run from them, if we need to, to hit them, or hey, maybe, maybe there's something else. Um, and that's just kind of how the brain 
works. Yeah. He <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. That's, um, that, that, that's definitely a point that I make is because they're caring so much about something that's not their business. It, as, as I talk about Karen, I had this whole conversation, Royce, with um, a, a few friends of mine just the other day. And I, I literally yeah. want to break down what's happening. And as I sat there and I said, we have Karen who called. I mean, at my at one point it was called Barbecue Becky. But um, we had Becky call over uh, a family barbecue now being called Karen. Karen called over a family yep. barbecue. Karen called the police because a guy was sleeping in Wendy's. Karen called because a young lady had a lemonade stand without baby now uh, a lemonade stand without uh, a permit. Karen called because she watched yep. a guy write black lives matter on his property. <laughs> Didn't know it was his with property. chalk with chalk. Right. Didn't know it was his property. But as I started to talk about all these items, I mean, you guys, frontline listeners chime in with me and help me remember some of these things that Karen calls about. As I think about all these things that Karen calls about and it's like Karen called the police because a guy was sleep lemonade stand. And if I just take the calls, the police out and just go young lady has a lemonade stand family in the park, barbecuing guys sleep in his car. I need people to hear that because when I say those things without Karen calls the police, these are just normal things that everybody do day to day. This is what we call living, right? Yeah. I mean, do you agree with me? This, yeah, this I is, this is this is just living, and and if it's, if if we truly have allies, this is where our allies can start to do things like replace Karen calls the police for young lady with no um, permit for a lemonade lemonade stand to Karen sees young lady with a lemonade stand, but because she didn't have a permit, Karen bought all of her lemonade. This is where I go. Yep. We have to change the mindset of 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 people who think they're doing something good because at the end of the day, here's another one, a a more recent one. Thank you for the comment. Karen call Karen calls the police because uh, families moving in and then goes, they go on to have these racial slurs and with these racial slurs, I just want to continue to say, Hey, look, you guys are uncomfortable. And and I don't want to generalize you in, in this group, but the people who, who are not an ally and who are calling the police over just living, you guys are uncomfortable with people living that level of yeah. this yeah, and, and that level of discomfort that I sit in and I, and I think about, I go, we're calling the police on people living. And yeah. do we really need an armed officer in the case where someone is just living? Karen calls be- the police because mom and kids in hotel are swimming in pool. She asked, did she have a room? Yep. She said, yes, this is again, living. And yeah. the police are supposed to be trained. They're, they're, they, they are to be trained in de-escalation. But in my mind, I can't help but realize that in some of these situations, lemonade stand, riding black lives matter on a building, barbecuing, swimming in a pool. I don't need a armed officer for these situations. Because in my opinion, with how we feel and how we've been raised, these these things escalate the situation rather than de-escalate your situation. Do you have any thoughts on how Karen has weaponized her the police officers for her discomfort? Oh, I mean, you just said it exactly (laughs) and precisely accurately. We're talking about people who have weaponized. Yeah, I'm just going to keep repeating this, mm-hmm. have weaponized police because of their own discomfort. It, that's all that's fucking going on there. That's it. That's what's happening. Um, is it something in Karen from maybe it's something? Is it something in history? Histor- I mean, because historically, these women have been taught that if they say I've been threatened, like the, the woman who the guy told yep. her, lease your dog up. I, I'm I'm afraid of dogs or I don't like unleashed dogs. You're supposed to have it's a law to leash your dog. And I'm going to call the police on you and I'm going to tell them you're threatening to a black okay. man. That's a drone strike. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like a, a complete drone. Just yeah, boom. Just this. That's hey, hey, now. Now we're talking about threats. Yeah. I mean, so. Oh, God. It's a whole can of worms here, man. 
Um, yeah, well, yeah. There's a whole bunch of studies that show the vast majority of crimes actually committed by white males between the ages of 25 and 45. But who is arrested already tilts toward people of color. Who is convicted already tilts toward people of color. And then we start comparing the rates. Yeah, I mean, you quoted that stuff early. You're nailing it. Um, there's there's a fundamental problem here with this situation. The calls the cops on the guy who's dog isn't on a leash because he's because she's uncomfortable right so first off let's talk about see something say something right right okay the but before we even see something our brain has decided based on our own conditioning what see something really is a my brain is totally ignoring all the books on my shelf that are in front of me right now it's several hundred i have no idea how many up there but my brain is totally ignoring it because we're here and some part of it is cooperating with the fact that I think this is more important than what's going on over there, right? That's the way our brain scans constantly. And so the notion that you see something, you say something, well, it's better safe than sorry and all this shit. The problem is that that's all being run off the part of the brain that also has bias. And so when we started jacking up the notion of see something, say something, after 9-11 it was when we really started seeing that get jacked up. And it was... I mean, it leads to a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment, obviously, just like right now we're seeing a lot of anti-Asian sentiment because, yeah. All right. Uh, Because of all the misconceptions (laughs) around coronavirus. I can't I can't even bring that one in here right now because I'm a flip. It's beer. Um, It's beer. (laughs) (laughs) Don't drink the beer. (laughs) So, I mean, we've got we've got that going on. Um, So see something, say something. But the problem is it also was there was an element of racism in there. And so it just reinforced, I think, the notion that see something, say something has a, a, a racial element to it. And and so that's that's what's going. There's a shit ton of stuff going on there. But that's one element. Another element. And this is an element of critique around the feminist movement, the wider feminist movement that comes out of black feminism, um, is the notion that one of the problems of what was the. A lot of the people I've been, man, I've been reading black feminists and with feminists of color for the last year, almost exclusively. So, so you say you got to get this out. It's in me. It's become part part of the bones here that that is really special to me. Um, but it, they call it the white feminist movement because it, although white was not in the title, that's the way it functioned for for a hundred plus years. Um, was feminism was really about white women gaining the same power as white men. And that's the basic critique of black feminism is y'all don't want to actually solve the problem. Y'all want to just get the same power. Uh, to put it more colloquially, y'all are really interested in wearing pants. Oh my gosh. Oh, say that again. You know, I got, I got called uh, out by my last guest on not supporting women. I just go, I just, this is where I say, go check my, my, my show lineup. You'll find that most of my guests have been women. I really support women. Um, but keep going. I want you to. I want you well, to dive in that. They just want to wear pants, man. They want to take my pants. I mean that that was the that's the basic accusation is you just want to to ally with white men to gain their power, hmm. and and so black feminism comes in and critiques the wants to critique the actual power structures behind the whole fucking thing. Can, about, can I just read something? I'll, I'll say I'm finna, I'm finna, I'm, I'm, I'm about to make us go left real quick because you're talking about feminism. I mean, you're talking about allying with people. I want you to read that, but I, I do want to throw this comment out there right now because right. we talked about Black Lives Matter. Is that talk to me? That, it, you know what? This is the same thing. Okay, and here it's we go. The, do you do you want to articulate like your issue? My, I mean, you, people, people know my issue with Black Lives Matter. I don't have a problem okay. with the, the slogan itself. Here's the context behind it. I have a problem with the organization itself because they don't make a space for men. And it, it, Royce, you really just said my whole you, you really just said everything that I kind of believe in. It's not that they want to make it better for us. They're, they hoodwinked us. And personally, they, they took a slogan that everybody could, could get behind, like Black Lives Matter, because until Black Lives Matter, all lives don't matter. So, because we're, we're fighting it. The slogan makes sense. But when you go read her story on Black Lives Matter's um, organizational webpage, yes, I said her story. That wasn't a mistake. It talks about the space they they're trying to create for lesbian, 
and lesbian and trans women. They are also trying to make that space for lesbian and trans women that that are black. No, we don't say the names of trans women who are black that have that um that that have suffered at the hands of police police brutality and and racism. But I don't want to talk about intersectionality on this on this conversation. <laughs> All right. I think this these are these are the women who you're talking about and these are black ones. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's actually exactly where I was going to go. It was Kimberly Crenshaw's article uh, from 1989 mm-hmm. articulating the problem with only addressing just racism, for okay. example, which have you read her, any of her, her stuff? I have not. It's, it's an, it's an interesting read. I'm not a lawyer. So part of it just like goes, whoop. so it's, it's definitely one of those where I'm like, all right, I really got to dig into this. But in, in this legal argument, she makes the case and she she's reviewing cases of black women mm-hmm. where they were faced in the court of either claiming their blackness was the reason they were discriminated against or the fact that they were a woman was why they were discriminated against. Right. And she makes the case that this is what she calls single axis. Um, I can't remember the word she uses. I'll say marginalization, okay. but kind of single single axis, uh, axis discrimination. And and she proposes that these two single axis single axes are not they are not alone because they intersect in the personhood of this black woman who was wronged not just because of her race but also because she was a woman so she makes the argument for what i would articulate as like two-dimensional uh anti-discrimination work and here's here's the way she describes this to the extent that this general description is accurate the following analogy can be useful this is from her 1989 article, Demarginalizing the Intersection. Um, the following analogy can be useful in describing how black women are marginalized in the interface between anti-discrimination law and race and gender hierarchies. Imagine a basement, which contains all people who are disadvantaged on the basis of race, sex, class, sex, uh, sexual preference, age, and or physical ability. There's more that, to that list right? Okay. these days but she was writing in 1989. These people are stacked, feet standing on shoulders, with those on the bottom being disadvantaged by the full array of factors up to the very top, where the heads of all those disadvantaged by a singular factor brush up against the ceiling. Their ceiling is actually the floor, above which only those who are not disadvantaged in any way reside. In efforts to correct some aspects of domination, Those above the ceiling admit from the basement only those who can say that but for the ceiling, they too would be in the upper room. A hatch is developed through which which those placed immediately below can crawl. Yet this hatch is generally available only to those who, due to the singularity of their burden and their otherwise privileged position relative to those below them, are in the position to crawl through. Those who are multiply burdened are generally left below unless they can somehow pull themselves into the groups that are permitted to squeeze through this hatch. Wow. As this analogy translates for black women, she says, the problem is that they can receive protection only to the extent that their experiences are recognizable, similar to those experiences tend to be reflected in the anti-discrimination doctrine. If black women cannot conclusively say, but for their race, or but for their gender, they would have been treated differently. They are not invited to climb through the hatch, but told to wait in the unprotected margin until they can be absorbed into the into the broader protected categories of race and sex. So she begins this argument. Now that argument's progressed way beyond what she wrote then. Yeah, they, they call um, it intersectionality and, now. Well, and that's that's what she called it, but it's it's now three dimensions. Okay. Like we're we're talking very much in this movement now is around three dimensions and it it began and uh one of the people i immediately think of is angela davis she had an interview with lisa lowe back in the 90s and she's her comment was toward the end of this like what's the path forward and this is from 95 she right uh, she she said to lisa lowe um we have to be seeing more allyship between the movements so while you're you're calling for more white allyship and engagement from from white people that means something, right? Meaningful engagement. Um, her call was for 
more allyship between movements. So when we're dealing with how to shut down a liquor store, it's not just um, the black community that says, we don't want your shit in our, in our neighborhood. Uh, it also ends up being allied with um, another, another group. And so they make their causes one. And so when I read the BLM the statement, time. I had a very different reaction. I was like, holy shit, this, this is this real. Is like, <laughs> say, this is it. These, like they, they, they know that their single point, the point that they are pushing on is that black lives must fucking matter. Right. right? They know that that's their point. But when you read the statement, what they're also saying is, and we can't ignore the variety in the community that we are, we must have concern for folks who are, who uh, have a trans identity. We must show concern for those who have a, a, a sexual preference that, that is outside of, of the, what is defined as the norm of America. And it's because what they are attacking is the fucking system that says there must be a ceiling and there must be a floor. That's what they're going after. They want to tear that system down. They don't just want to say, we got to break racism. They're saying this whole system has to come down. And that's bluntly the door for me to participate in these movements, not just as an ally, because when I'm out there marching, my job is to be an ally, right? It is. Like I have to know right when to sit in the back and when I'm called forward because we know, need I to have white that, bodies. Right. I heard that. I heard the term white right. shade. They, they want the white right? bodies to move to the front to, to yep. guard the, the, the black bodies that are out there. Hey, look, Royce. And that's, that's, that's a good job of allyship. But I'm, my suggestion is we got to go farther because we got to get white people to see that it's in our best interest to tear down racism. This floor hurts everyone. This ceiling hurts everyone. And that's actually the argument that I think the BLM statement is making. That's a tough argument for me. Cause I feel like they just, I, 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 know. I feel like they exclude me. They don't want to men. They don't have men in leadership. They don't have men coming and having that conversation with them. And Royce, I, this is where I go. This conversation happened too fast because you know, we go mm -hmm. an hour long, an hour strong, just about. And I want to say <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> this conversation has moved right along for our hour, but here's a question. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just cut you off. I want you to tell our audience, I want to say thank you so much for joining me on the front line and even Thank having you, the man. courage to even discuss some of the topics that we've discussed today. I, I know I didn't make you uncomfortable because a lot of the things that we, we discuss, we, we tend to agree on. But this is where I want, want you to spend two minutes talking to the, or two minutes or less, talking to the audience out there and the listeners out there to, to talk to them about your takeaways that you want them to, that you really want them to understand um, moving forward. I got people saying, keep talking, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> if you missed it, you got you you got to come back later. That's what happened. But Royce, give I'm down. Give them the definitely gonna have you back on the show. But before you leave, I want you to give two minutes or less. Give them your takeaways. Give them your 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 shows. Tell them where we can find each other. I just want to give you all that time. I know two minutes. So all that time. before I dive into it, because I'm gonna forget what I'm saying the second I dive in uh, that. Just search for Killing the Great White Male on iTunes or Spotify. I'm working on other platforms, but that's happening. Great show. Uh, look, thank you, man. I, it's it's a work I've been really deathly scared of putting in front of people. Um, Don't be. It's been a personal project, Great you know, show. so so there's that. And then Where's where's Your Heart? Uh, just search Where's Your Heart 2020 on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, tune in on Mondays at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Torian and I, and we hold a very different space than you hold here. Um, but that's actually... <laughs> If I'm, if I'm going to leave, there's a couple of things I got to hit before I leave. I got I got to hit on the notion that white people have to become multicultural. And I don't mean, oh, we got to have to learn to eat flan. I mean, <laughs> everybody else outside of white men. Okay, yeah, no, you got to learn to eat flan, <laughs> right, too. Right? Is that what I'm flan. hearing? That's what you're hearing. You got to find some flan. <laughs> um, but it's it's that as white men, we go through the world typically never having to accommodate somebody else's world. And that's part of where the pushback comes back comes from. And so we have to make it a discipline to engage other cultures in ways that draw our, ourselves forward, which ties into the notion that we have to know when to be good allies and when we're doing our own personal work to find out what's on the other side of the line that we're cut off from. You said last week, or what I heard you say last week to me was, Royce, you've been holding back. And yes. I got to tell you, that's a it's a very deliberate thing. You invite me on this show. This show is very much a black space. Normally, when I'm in black spaces, I am deliberately, I bite my tongue because I want to learn. And I do the same thing when I'm in my 
my women's studies classes. Um, yeah, yeah, I go flood. Um, I do the same thing in women's studies classes because it's all right. I, actually, I'm just going to I'm going to go with this because I wrote this last week uh, after having a rather sleepless night on the the. Look, the we, holding we, back thing and re- frontline listeners made Roy it. stay up all night thinking about what we was going to talk about. <laughs> I told well, you it'd be a well, simple it, conversation, man. This this matters because I do hold back because I respect the sanctity of spaces that are not mine. Mm-hmm. Because I make everything my space the second I open my fucking mouth because that's how privilege works. Okay. I colonize spaces and I have to I have to be careful with that. And there's more to it than that. When I engage in anti-racism work, it's because part of me is black. When I engage in anti-sexism work, it's because part of me is woman. When I engage in anti-homophobic work, it's because part of me is gay. When I engage in anti-transphobic work, it's because part of me is trans. When I engage in anti-concentration camp work, it's because part of me is the migrant. When I engage in anti-ableism work, it's because part of me is disabled. And when I engage in anti-xenophobic work, it's because part of me is Muslim. But I don't know all these parts of myself. But I know they're there, locked away, behind the bars, cut off from me, me cut off from myself in the prison of the great white male. And that's why I hold back, because I need to sit at the feet of black voices in black spaces and listen more than I speak, because I might just get a glimpse, just a fleeting shadow a part of me that I lost a long time ago. So I hold back in my women's studies classes, hoping to catch a scent, a whiff of part of me that I cut off for that fucking man card, part of me that I need in order to be human. And the worst part of this is that I know I did it all for conditional privilege, a taste of privilege, because I can't say I grab women by the pussy and get elected president. And I write that through tears and it comes up every time I read this because I know I'm not a whole fucking human being. And yet, I am. Dude, y'all, you frontline listeners, you now understand why Royce is a friend of the show. Royce, I can't thank you enough for um, putting your heart on the line. That, that's, that, I, I guess that leads to where's your heart. Uh, and you just found out where um, Royce Tevis Towns' heart is. He says part, he, he, got, he, got a lot of, he got a lot of parts that he want to pull out, and I encourage you to continue that fight. I encourage you to... Um, continue to move forward with with being an ally because you're one of the people that has been listening and truly those words say hey in your space you gotta kind of take a step back so you can listen to other people Um, frontline listeners I I, want to thank again Royce for being on the show Um, Royce you gotta come back man because our hour went so quick I was not expecting that hour to get so quick but (laughs) What I do want to do is like I had so much lined up that I wanted to talk about that I didn't even get to talk about. What I do want to do is come back. I want you to come back on the show or do something on on you guys' show. I don't know. Um, I, I just know we I need we need a little bit more time and and we need I need I need to go left and and right and and steer us in different directions when we have this conversation. But now is the time for me to say goodbye to all my Negro and white ally friends, as they say. Um, oh, gosh, I'm so surprised about how quick that went, Royce. I'm so serious. I'm so surprised about how how quickly that has has moved along. Guys, this is where I go. Ask not what's wrong. Ask what's possible. If I do that, I tend to think about. Um, I, I think about the day when whites will have an understanding of the version of America or the American dream where we all get a trip around the Monopoly board to learn the process. I tend to think about government, government reparations to repair the neighborhoods destroyed by systemic racism. I think about a version of America that when you wanna be with your own kind, it's not looked at as an opportunity to start a race war. Cause bluebirds fly with bluebirds, red birds fly with red birds. And just as we're black, white, and other, we still like being with our own kind. And just as I talked about those birds, they're all birds, like we're all humans. I also want to leave you with this as we go into this celebrated Independence Day 
for a blind America. Words said by Langston Hughes. Let America be America again. In his words, I'm the young man full of strength and hope, tangled in the ancient endless chain of profit, power, gain, and grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways to satisfy the need, of work the men, take the pay, of owning everything for one's own greed. Oh yes, I say it plain, America was never America for me. And yet I swear this oath, America will be. Thank you guys for listening. Royce, thank you for being on the show. You can now back up off the front line.